Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. This is Season 11, Episode 13. Today, I'm speaking with podcast host, journalist Zara Huber, who is a senior copywriter and reporter whose experience ranges from news, feature articles, storytelling, interviews, and more. She is the host of the podcast, Breaking Peter with Z. She came to my attention on the TV show, Taste the Nation, with host Padma Lakshmi. They had a wonderful episode where they got to talk in Dearborn, Michigan, and I really um, loved Z's down-to-earth, tell-it-like-it-is approach and grew to become a fan of her wonderful podcast. I'm going to take you now to my conversation with journalist, podcaster, Zara Z. Huber. Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones, and today I'm very happy to be talking with Zara Huber, who is a senior copywriter and reporter whose experience ranges from news feature articles, storytelling, interviews, and more. She is the host of the podcast, Breaking Peter with Z. Zara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. First off, I have to ask you, what is Padma Lakshmi really like? She's so amazing. You know, um, I've met, being a reporter, I've met some celebrities who can be kind of standoffish, but she was extremely sweet. I mean, it was funny. I joked with all my friends who loved her. I was wearing red lipstick and I guess I had smudged a little bit while I was drinking the coffee. And before we started shooting, she literally reached over with her finger and like wiped the lipstick away from my, my lip, like my cheek area. And I was like, how much just freaking clean my lipstick off to make sure that I was like put together for camera. Um, awesome. So she's just really sweet. Um, she really, when you talk to her and she interviews you, it feels like she's listening to your story. So uh, it was a great experience and it made me really love and respect her even more. Now, for those of you listening who don't know the context that I'm speaking of, Zara was on the show Taste the Nation last year with host Padma Lakshmi. And I, so I wanna ask you, um, how did appearing on the TV show change your life? And actually my, my follow-up question in addition, how did it kind of change your town in Michigan? How did that um, visit impact it? You know, I wish uh, the, the latter of that question, I wish I knew how much it impacted uh, the city of Dearborn, but I did get a lot of um, responses from friends and local Arabs in the Dearborn area who applauded me for speaking up about some of the issues that Dearborn does face, which kind of surprised me. I was expecting the opposite. Um, you know, anytime you kind of point out any problems that a city faces, you get some backlash. But thankfully, I got the opposite. Um, so it, it made me really happy to hear that. Um, for me, changed my life. It, it kind of lit a fire under my butt because I had put my podcast on pause. It had, I had started my podcast before COVID. And when COVID hit and I had to do everything through Zoom, um, and other channels, it was a little difficult for me. So I kind of, kind of lost steam after that, but seeing Padma show after it was all put together and seeing myself again with clips of my podcast, it kind of invigorated me. It, you know, it, it makes me want to get back out there. And I got people who are like, what are you starting your next season? I got hundreds of follows after that on my breaking Peta with Z Instagram page. 
and people reached out and they're like, oh my God, I've been listening to your podcast. It's so great. So it kind of restarted that, you know, passion to podcast again. Now you mentioned like it, it put you in the spotlight a little bit and you've been in the spotlight before. I want to refer to something I wanted to talk about later, but I want to bring this up now because it kind of, kind of is like, um, part of this, um, you, you publicly decided to stop wearing the hijab and this yeah. caused a lot of controversy for you. Now, can you talk about this? And then like, say, like let's say um, also additionally, can we talk about has this reinvigorated that controversy? Um, no, not so much. I think it gives me the ability to talk about hijab again. So I don't know if it, it kind of brings the controversy back to light, but it definitely gives me the platform to talk about hijab and what it means and, you know, what it means to me, what it means to other people. Um, I took my hijab off after 21 years. I put it on when I was nine years old. Uh, my father was very strict and I didn't really have a choice in the matter. But at the time, I was okay with that. All my friends were wearing it. Well, as I got older, the hijab wasn't really something that was part of my identity as much anymore. Um, I'm very liberal. I um, kind of like to do my own thing. And I didn't feel like the hijab, I was, I was not doing my hijab justice, you know, because it's modesty, it's really representing the religion. And I did not feel like I was doing all that. So I took it off when I was 30. Uh, unfortunately, I had some friends who told me that I was going to hell. <laughs> friends used yeah. lightly, by the way. Yeah. Um, but told me I was going to hell. What am I doing? Oh, um, you're going to go party and drink now and sleep around and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm still the same person just because there isn't a cloth on my head. Doesn't mean that, you know, I'm turning into this party girl who's going to be at the club every night. You know, it just, it didn't make any sense to me, but honestly, they did me a favor because I kind of cleansed my friendships you know, and really knew who, who was important to me and who was there to just judge me. So, um, you know, it did strain a few relationships, but in the end, it was my decision and I'm happier with my life the way I chose to live it. Some of the responses I think you got were pretty vitriolic. Uh, people are very uh, polarized on this, aren't they? Yes, extremely. The thing that people don't understand is that hijab is a choice in our religion. Women have to choose to wear it. They cannot be forced to wear it. So the fact that I chose not to wear it was my choice as a Muslim woman. Um, and I think some people are so ingrained in the culture. They're so, they, they forget that, that it's a woman's choice to put it on or take it off or not wear it or whatever it is. And um, it was really frustrating because a lot of people, they put too much weight on the hijab about someone's, per, just their morals and their ethics. You know, they think that when the hijab's not on, you know, that that person is a bad Muslim or whatever it is. And that's just not the case. So it was very you know, frustrating. As a man, a lot of women I know, um, you know, either be relatives or coworkers or friends, they talk a lot about just being a woman you get a lot of scrutiny and you get told what to do regardless, I mean, of your nationality or, or your your faith, no matter what, you're walking down the street, you're gonna get comments, you're gonna get criticism, you know, even other women will be cruel about stuff. 
-hmm. Do you think it, do you think this is the epitome of like the whole issue of how women are treated um, basically around the world? I mean, that just kind of like seems to be the hijab is like is an example of this whole thing. I think I mean people don't really think about across the board, but I mean in addition to all the other stuff, you have this as well. How does that make you feel as a woman and an Arab woman? Honestly, so I grew up uh, in a household where reputation was huge, right? So what are other people gonna think was like the big thing. Um, so when that was actually one of the reasons it took me so long to take the hijab off is because I was worried about what other people would think. And it took me about two or three years to finally make the decision for myself and say, screw what they think. This is my life. You know, I can do whatever I want. Um, and so it, it is very frustrating when people have opinions about you as a woman. Now people have opinions about you wearing the hijab. You know, I was told always by my father, who was extremely strict, that I was too independent. I had too many, I, I thought too much to myself. I was too outspoken. I was too this, I was too that, you know, as an Arab woman. And now on top of it, I'm taking the hijab off. So now I'm a bad Muslim or whatever it is. Um, but this was just my father who's extremely strict. He's very cultural. You know, this has another, I do want to separate like the religion and the culture, but um, the community had their opinions, you know, about me. And this was about nine years ago, so I'm aging myself, but uh, I was 30 and it wasn't popular for women to take the hijab off back then. So it really did frustrate me because as a, as a woman in America, I was told about like things that I needed to do as a woman in America. Now as an Arab American Muslim woman living in America, I was also being judged for my decision. So it, it was very difficult. Um, but you know what, it, it made me who I am now because I have more of a, I don't give a crap <laughs> attitude about what other people think anymore. This is my life, I'm not doing wrong. I'm not hurting anybody. So it, it kind of made me a little stronger. I don't wanna to make too much of a meal on this topic, but like there's this one last thing I'd, I'd wanted to ask is like, I had, I had worked alongside women who wore hijab and also had women who worked for me that wore hijab. And, I, when I see the interactions with people, usually people treat you very differently, I, I feel. And you're almost treated like you're either wearing cosplay or you're like an alien or something like that. And people don't treat you like a normal person. And it's really weird to me because it's just a piece of cloth, but people get so weird over just the slightest of things. Um, do you feel kind of like almost like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of feeling? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I first started in the radio business, I was wearing hijab and I remember I said the F word one day because I don't know, something with the computer was wrong and I yelled and I said the F word. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on your podcast, so I won't, but um, totally okay. My coworker, she looked at me and she said, oh my God. And I said, what's wrong? She goes, you swear? I was like, yeah, of course I swear. I was so shocked by the question. I'm like, yeah, of course. I'm like a human being. I have a personality, you know, I'm not just some like robotic Muslim woman who like serves men all day you know that's not what I am I'm, I'm outspoken I'm loud I'm you know I could have a potty mouth sometimes but you know they don't expect it from you so there's always some expectation no matter what it is damned if you do and damned if you don't now 
you grew up in New York and then uh, what took you to Michigan? <sighs> My dad. So in New York, um, I was surrounded by so many different cultures and so many different religions and so many different ethnicities. And um, my dad thought that we were not surrounded by enough Arabs. And, you know, Dearborn, Michigan is uh, the highest concentration of Arabs in one area um, in the entire world. So there's a lot like Dearborn is just very Arab. And so he thought moving us to Dearborn would allow us to get to know our Arab roots more. And that's literally the reason why we moved to Dearborn. Was it a culture shock? I mean, was it hard? Oh, God. There? Absolutely. I come from New York where I grew up with, you know, Hispanic people, with so many African-Americans, with, you know, people from India, people from Pakistan, like just everywhere around the world, you name it. I've met them in New York and I've, I've grown up with them and learned their culture and their food and whatever. You know, when I came to Dearborn, I literally felt like I was dropped into the Middle East. Um, and that was such a huge culture shock because I wasn't used to it. I was used to so much diversity and I love the diversity. I thrived on the diversity. I'm a very curious person and I love to learn about people and their cultures and their foods and everything. Um, and here I am surrounded by my whole neighborhood was Arab, hundred percent Arab. There was not one white person, not one black person, nobody on our street that was not Arab. And it really was a culture shock. I didn't like it. I cried. I cried my first year that I was in Michigan and I swore that I would move back to New York. <laughs> now you would come to work in writing and journalism. Um, was that something you'd always wanted to do? Did you always dream of being a writer or a journalist? I did. When I was in what really um, started that, I was in 10th grade in a high school in New York. And our teacher told us to submit a piece to a local newspaper as extra credit. And if we got published, you know, we would get a higher grade. Well, I was the only one who actually got published in the whole class. It was um, accepted by Newsday which is a pretty large New York paper. Yeah. And my piece was Muslim teens have fun too. So I wrote a piece about, even though I wear hijab, I'm just a regular teenager still, you know, I still have the same teenage problems as everyone else. It's funny. It's actually framed at my mom's house, <laughs> my, my piece from 10th grade. And that it just was so amazing to see my work and the possible positive effect I can have by publishing things like that. Even if I changed one person's mind about Muslims or Arabs. And so that actually sparked my passion to be a journalist. You went on to co-host a radio program called The Civil Arab. Can you talk mm -hmm. about its experience and what impact it had on your life? Oh, it had a huge impact. The experience was great because I had come from a, a reporting job where I had to be extremely unbiased. Yeah. I was not allowed to have an opinion at all. Um, so when I got onto the Civil Arab, uh, it was hosted by Amr Zahar. He's a comedian and Palestinian activist as well. And uh, him and I had a few run-ins like just in the past. And one day I had sat down next to him at a coffee shop and I'm like I know you you're Amir Zahar 
And he said, yeah, I said, I know your work and blah, blah, blah. He's like, you know, I'm looking for a co-host. What do you do? And I explained to him that I was a journalist, but I had just quit my job in reporting. He said, I'd love to bring you on. So he really gave me that opportunity to be on talk radio, which is completely different. At the first two episodes, he's like, you need to speak your mind a little more. But I had a hard time adapting to that because for yeah. 10 years as a reporter, I wasn't allowed to give my opinion one way or another at all. And here I am talking about, you know, what was happening in Detroit, for instance, and how much I hated it. And it was so hard for me to break out of that habit of staying quiet with my opinion. Um, and he really pushed me to speak my mind and really talk about things. And um, so it was, it was great because it really pushed me to start the podcast. I had always wanted to podcast or somehow write or talk about my experiences as an Arab American Muslim woman in this country. And being able to host a two hour show by myself a few times, it let me know that, you know what, I can, I think I could do a podcast. And so I took what he had taught me there and turned that into a podcast. Yeah, how, how much trouble did um, speaking your mind and saying the things that are coming to you know top of your head uh, on radio, how much, how much did that cause you with your family and friends? Uh, with my family and friends, nothing, because they already know all my opinions by then. <laughs> yeah. I was in my mid-30s mid at this point, so they already knew how, how I was, and they had kind of come to terms with you know, how outspoken I was about things and how liberal I am. Um, what I got a lot of hate calls, you know, on the phone from callers about that kind of stuff. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. How dare you say things like that? And honestly, it, it's just, I didn't even let it bother me. I kind of laughed when they called about it because I had spent so much of my life worrying about those kind of comments that at this point, I just didn't even care. I've heard it all. Now you're a journalist and you, you know, you work with media. Now, when you're assigned work, do you ever get pigeonholed as an Iraqi, Austrian, American woman? Do they, do you ever go, oh, thanks. I get to cover Ramadan again. You know, do you ever feel like that? Every time, literally every Ramadan, Zara go out and cover this mosque thing. Zara go out and cover this protest against Israel. Zara go blah, blah, blah. And I told my boss once, I said, you know, thank you for like giving me the opportunity. I love covering it because I feel like I could talk about it probably with, you know, more experience and knowing the culture and the religion and the practices more. I said, but you need to start sending your non-Arab reporters out to these kinds of things because it helps them understand these events even better, you know, because I feel like, because I'm out here also covering like church, church stuff, but like, I'm learning about it, you know, as I'm out inside the church covering an event inside a church. Um, I'm learning about it while I'm in there. I feel like non-Arabs and non-Muslims should be doing the same so that, you know, we are just more well-rounded as reporters. But I got pigeonholed all the time. Anytime there was an attack on the Middle East, I covered it. Anytime there was an attack on Israel, I covered it. Um, and so it, it did get a little frustrating sometimes because I, I talked to my boss a few times telling him like, Hey, you need to start sending other people these kinds of things as well. And I, I think that's, what's nice about, we'll talk about your podcast later, but I noticed in your podcast, so you cover a broad range of topics and you really seem to really enjoy getting a chance to talk about other things. I mean, 
I, I, it's funny how we do this, but do you think even as a person, do people come up to you and want to like, like do people just like, you're, you're like waiting in line at the fast food and people are like, Hey, Israel, what do you think? You know, like the people like oh, yeah. out there, you're like, it's, does it happen like pretty much outside of journalism as well? Oh, absolutely. You have no idea how many times I've been asked if I like support Hamas or the Taliban or what happened on 9-11. Um, now, yeah, now not as much. I don't wear the hijab now, so it's a little harder to tell that I'm Muslim or Arab. People have a hard time guessing where I'm from. A lot of times I get the, so where are you, where are you originally from a lot? Um, but like New York, why do you ask? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Here. What do you mean? America. Um, but as a Muslim, like when I wore the hijab, oh, I got those questions all the time. But you know what's crazy? I actually don't mind it because I feel like even if they might be offensive and I'm rolling my eyes, that gives me a chance to educate someone and whether or not they walk away agreeing with me or understanding it is on them. But it gave me the opportunity to maybe even change the perspective of one person. Yeah. My favorite thing, though, I have to tell you, I recently uh, met an Iranian woman who's Jewish and, you know, I don't wear the hijab. I, you know, you can't really tell where I'm from. And I, I, she said, yeah, I'm Persian and I'm Jewish. And she said, but you know what? Recently um, I got confused for an Arab and she's like, I laughed and was like, no, I'm not a fucking terrorist. And I just looked at her and I said, yeah, I looked at her and I said, you know, I'm Arab. And I said, I'm also Muslim. Um, I'm like, so, and she kind of just like her face just like went pale and she looked at me and she's like, well, you know, I mean, like, and she tried to like stumble over her words and it kind of made me laugh. So in a way it's almost even better because I'm hearing these people's like ignorant comments without them realizing that I'm Muslim or I'm, I'm Arab or whatever it is, you know? And so it brings out their ignorance and I'm able to stand there and be like, okay, I'm Muslim, I'm Arab. And like, what are you trying to say? And it puts them on the spot, which makes, which gives me so much pleasure because it's so entertaining to watch like the blood drain from their face when they realize it. Um, But maybe like, maybe it helps me change their mind too about things, you know, because they're like, oh, she's kind of cool. I didn't realize that, you know, Arabs and Muslims don't have to wear the hijab or whatever it is. Well, I mean, I think things like Padma Lakshmi's show is really great because um, many people in the United States don't know any Arab Americans. I've lived in places like Washington State where you live, I've lived many places that were literally 100% Caucasian, 100%. And in many cases, people will never meet anybody that's Arab. It's always this enemy other that they'll never know. They know through stereotypes. I mean, God, in the 80s growing up, the TV shows and movies were full of horrible, horrible ridiculous cartoonish stereotypes and that's oh yeah much what people are seeing that's their that's their doorway to the culture yeah even Bugs Bunny yeah. I think was it Bugs Bunny or yeah yeah I remember growing up and seeing that and I don't think people outside of our religion and culture realize just how amazing it is to see an Arab on tv not play a terrorist role yeah you know like Rami Malek is a huge actor. He played um, in Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, played Freddie Mercury. Probably. He's Egyptian. He's yeah. a proud Egyptian. You know, he's Arab. And to see actors like that play 
a role that's not even an Arab role too, you know, because I feel like they uh, Arabs also get pigeonholed into like Arab characters, even if they're not terrorists. But um, to see somebody like that just get so big and he's a household name now, basically, is amazing. Like it, it really has changed over the years. We have a long way to go, don't get me wrong, but it, it, it makes me really proud. Yeah, I've known many people who are, who are Arab and they, um, none of them were alike. They all came from very diverse, different parts of the Arab world. And I would say that there's, to me, there was very much a lack of um, homogenousness, mm-hmm. lack of a better word. So do you think people like just think of it as like a kind of a, a group that's all the same? Because I feel like- Absolutely. Known, and yeah, and it's, I, I always kind of like tell people, I, I've never known, you know, different people from different parts of the world that were similar. Everybody is very different. Do you think yeah. there's a lot of misconceptions about that? Oh, absolutely. Once you're Arab, you're Arab. That's it. It doesn't matter what part of the Arab world you're from. The thing is, we, I mean, what makes someone Arab is that, that we speak the Arabic language, right? Um, yeah. And that's it. I mean, we obviously have very similarities in our culture. We have some similarities in our food, but for instance, Iraqi food is extremely different from Lebanese food. Yeah. Um, and our dialect is very different from the Lebanese dialect. And I don't think people realize that there are such differences. It's, it's, when I try and compare it, it's like American English and the American culture versus like the British culture. You know, they're both, you know, speak the same language. I'm sure there's a lot of similarities, but there's a different dialect. There's different foods, you know, et cetera. So, yeah, I don't think people realize it. But I think the biggest misconception about Arabs is that we're all Muslim. Yeah, that's and not we're not, you know, that is not the case. The highest uh, Muslim population is actually not even an Arab country. It's Indonesia. I think it's Indonesia. Um, and people don't realize that people think immediately Arab equal Muslim, but it's not. There's Arab Jews, there's Arab Christians, there's Arab Muslims, there's Arab atheists, like whatever it is, you know, yeah. we have it. So um, I think that's probably the hardest misconception for me is that people assume one and the other. Yeah, I mean, I really feel like this is a problem we have largely, I blame on the public school system is we really don't really have any real cultural depth to our instruction. It's just very Eurocentric and that's mm-hmm. a really huge problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely feel like religion and culture should be taught in schools. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely this push to make it more Christian centric and it's really sickening to me I'm not a Christian and I just to see how the push and that I've seen like I've lived in cities where you know Christianity was enforced in schools and mm-hmm. it's just sickening because I I hate it when like you're at a, an event and they do a prayer and you're just like oh come on yeah yeah there's definitely there's areas where there is not much separation of church and state unfortunately yeah. I mean, not that anything's wrong. You know, I'm, I love all religions. I, yeah. you know, I have no issues with any of it, but I completely agree that yeah. I feel like there should be a separation. Absolutely. I want to talk about 9-11. Um, we had touched on it earlier. Um, you were in New York during 9-11 and mm-hmm. you were 17 years old, which is a really young age. Um, do you want to talk about this a little bit and how it affected your life? Yeah, 9-11, I mean, it's it's crazy because, you know, a lot of people, when you ask them, where were you on 9-11, you literally remember exactly where you were. And I feel like people who are in New York 
have even more vivid memories of it because it was like an attack on our city. Um, I remember waking up and I turned on the TV. My mom and dad, they both worked at a school, a Muslim school. And I had been, I was wearing a hijab at the time. I had just started college, like the week before that. Oh, dear and um, I remember turning the TV on. It was my day off. And uh, I saw one of the Twin Towers burning. And I was like, what the heck? Like, was there an explosion? Was there a fire? Like, what's going on? And they're like, our city's on, you know, our country's under attack. And I remember my first thing thinking, and it's so sad that this is the thought. It, it wasn't, I hope everybody's okay. That was my second thought. My first thought is, God, please don't let this be a Muslim. And, you know, I talked to my Muslim and Arab friends and they all had the same thought because that's it. That's it for our culture. That's it for our religion. Like we're done for, you know, like, I mean, people already didn't like us. Now they have even more reason to hate us. And my mom, um, like I said, my mom and dad worked in a private Islamic school and, you know, they were getting calls like, you guys are all terrorists. We're going to come burn down your school. We're going to paint the city red with the blood of your children like it was just it was just crazy I mean they shut the city down you know we were scared we did not leave the house for a week at all we did not like even go in the backyard because we were hearing about all the attacks where Muslim women were getting their hijabs pulled off or men were getting beat even men who weren't Muslim but I like resembled a Muslim man like Sikhs like they were getting beat I remember like watching the news. My dad had CNN and Al Jazeera on 24 seven. We were just watching the news and it was, it was scary. I mean, I was scared to go back to college. And I remember emailing like the Dean and telling him like, Hey, I'm a little bit afraid. And he goes, listen, anybody, he was so good. It was like a, a private school, private college. He's like, if anybody even utters something racist to you, we're going to expel them. It's going to be grounds for expulsion from college. And that really put my mind at ease a little bit. But I mean, you know, we were told go back to your country. Um, Jesus. I felt very like, it's hard because you know, I'm an American citizen. I wasn't born in this country. I was born in Austria, but I've been an American city citizen for most of my life. And I just did not feel like an American at that time. I felt very ostracized and it was, it was really difficult you know, because this is a country I knew, this is a country I knew and loved. And it was hard for my fellow people to put a target on me, basically, you know, for being an obvious Muslim woman. Luckily, in college, uh, everybody was so nice. I had some random people come up to me and be like, hey, if anybody bothers you, let me know, I got you. So it was just, it was really cute, you know, in school. But um, it, it was, it was hard. And just the changes after that and how, you know, Muslim and Arabs were called terrorists. And I would get, that's when I started getting asked, like, do you support the Taliban? Do you support Osama bin Laden? Do you support terrorism? And I'm like, no. And you know what? We have even more reason to hate them because they like messed up our whole name as Arabs and Muslims are supposed to be peaceful people. And here they are painting us in this terrible picture in this terrible light. So we hate them even more than you guys. And, you know, people just don't understand that. They automatically associate the two. Um, 
but yeah, it re- you know, I started getting screened more airports. I mean, I'm a 17 year old girl. I was skinny. I was 115 pounds. Like, what am I going to do on an airplane? Like, I remember me and my brother and my mom, we were sitting at the airport and we we're in London waiting to go to Austria. Like, I think it was like two, two years later, maybe two or three years later. And some guy was on the payphone in London and he goes, I'm afraid to get on this plane. There's some terrorists here. Oh, dear God. And I looked at my mom and I'm like, does he mean us? My mom's like in her like fifties. I'm here as like a teenager. Like, you know, my brother's a young teen. I'm like, does he, is he talking about us? It, it was just, it was really frustrating. It was, it was really hurtful, but you know, I mean, I, I feel like everybody's lives changed after nine 11 because I mean, of all that. So it's so weird. Cause we had, I mean, a, a few years prior to that, we had the bombing in Kansas city, Timothy McVeigh and nobody, you know, at all profiled anybody in regard to that because they were white and Christian and Republican. And so of course we're not going to say, Oh, well, we should be screening white Republicans, you know, maybe we, and yeah. I, I actually think we should. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> The thing is like, look at all the shooters, the school shooters, yeah. they're all white. Yeah. Uh, look yeah, at, uh, but they, but... January 6th. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, come on. And uh, nobody's saying we should profile uh, these people. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, and it's I, very frustrating to see should. that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's very, because even like, you know, the African-American community, they get stereotyped when they, when there's like some crimes involving them and then the Arab community. But if you look at school shootings and most of these like mass crimes, like it's usually a white man and it's so frustrating that they end up with mental health issues. But when we do something, we're terrorists, we're violent, blah, blah, blah. There's like the word usage to describe each side is just, it's so ridiculous to me. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and I try not to think about it because I get really angry and frustrated because, but there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do about it. You know, you just sit and watch and you listen to these people talk. So it's like the, the just vastly different descriptions for both sides. And it's just, it's nuts to me. Well, I mean, the one thing I notice is, um, when I talk to people that are from New York and they do mention 9-11 and oftentimes they do, there's always this thing where New Yorkers will mean like, oh, were you there during 9-11 and they talk and it's this thing, they have this shared thing, no matter where they lived, if they're from Long Island, you know, mm-hmm. anywhere, they still talk about it like they were there. And there's this shared thing that they get to kind of own that to a certain degree. But, you know, do you feel like the, you were kind of robbed of that as well? You don't get to like kind of join in on that as well. So, That's a good question. Honestly, I felt both sides of it because I was in Queens. I was living in Queens at the time. And I I was able to share with the people who were not ignorant. I was able to share that, you know, and we were able to, you know, just grieve about it. You know, it was attack on our city. We had, we had been in the twin, we had family or friends visiting like a month before 9-11 and we had taken them to the Twin Towers. It was like a spot that, you know, we would take visitors to go see the city. And it was just, you know, that was our home. That was our city. And I was able to connect with people. But then you get the ignorant comments who make you feel like you're an outsider and you're foreign 
and you're not allowed to grieve about an attack on your city. Yeah. You don't belong here. You're not from here, blah, blah, blah. But um, I do feel like though that's taken away a lot being born outside the country, being part Arab. I do feel like, you know, wanting to grieve about an attack, even school shootings, you know, like you hear about it and you still get called a foreigner. And what do you, what do you know about that? And it's blah, blah, blah. Come on. <laughs> I'm an American citizen. Like this is my country. This is the only country I really know. And it's just frustrating when you're called things like foreigner. Yeah. You have, you have a podcast called Breaking PD with Z where you're, you interview a wide range of guests on a variety of topics. What did you learn from making this podcast that uh, was different from journalism? How connected we all really are. Um, it's funny because I had people, when I started putting my episodes up, I really talk about a lot of the issue. I, I do a lot, a wide, you said like a wide range of topics. I do things that are funny, like what it's yeah. like dating in the Arab American culture um, to more serious things like mental health issues in our culture. And the amount of people that reached out to me to tell me that they had a similar experience was insane to me. They weren't even Arab. And they're like, they're like, I relate to you so much. You know, my parents, even though they weren't Arab, you know, they were strict too. And we had to hide dating or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it just, it, it just solidifies how similar we all are. You know, we may have different colored skin and have a different religion and different culture, whatever it is, but there's a string that moves through all of us that connects us. We all have very similar experiences, you know, and that just, it just showed me how similar we really all are. Do you, you're often very funny on the program. Do you think people are surprised by that? They think you're expected to be like really, really serious? <laughs> Probably. So my friends who listen, you know, they know that I like to joke a lot about a lot of things and I've, I try to have a good sense of humor about almost everything. Um, but yeah, like I've had a few people that, you know, message me cause you know, I have an Instagram account and so they can message me on the account and they'll be like, oh my God, I was listening to this and I was expecting you to be all serious. And you had me laughing through the whole episode. And I think that's kind of what gets people too is, is humor, right? Like we love funny things. We, you know, at the end of the day, even if a serious subject, I mean, that's why comedians harp so much on, you know, serious subjects like racism even, and they turn it into a funny experience and, you know, we're laughing and it's a very serious subject, but I think people listen more when there's like a little bit of sense of humor in some of these things. And so that's why I love to use humor in a lot of my episodes. Were there any journalists or writers that inspired you when you were, when you were young growing up? Um, so not really. I, I mean, there were some, like, I used to love watching Barbara Walters, believe it or not. And I do. And I always, I always, I always used to say, like, I'm going to be a Barbara Walters when I get older. Like, that was my dream to be Barbara Walters and be interviewing everybody that's out there, you know, with their stories and be able to ask whatever question I wanted to ask. Cause I feel like she did not care. She just asked her question 
did not matter. And I love that. I used to love watching her. Um, but no, I think just, I think her, and, and I used to love watching, believe it or not, Peter Jennings. He was such an yeah. inspiration to me. Yeah, um, Cause I feel like he was so knowledgeable, yeah. but um, probably not when I was younger. Like as I got older, like John Stewart was big for me because I feel like he used humor too, even on some very serious subjects. Yeah. And I I would watch John John Stewart all the time. I thought he was smart and I, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed. So I try to like it kind of inspired me too to like use more humor in, in my podcast. Because I feel like people listen more. So I want to ask you, what's next for you? <laughs> um so I want to start my podcast back up. Uh, I have a few things in the works and I want to start recording um, before the end of the year. So that is definitely next for me. Um, I feel like I've made enough excuses as to why I shouldn't start recording my podcast again. Um, and I really, I feel passionate about it. It's something I love doing and it's definitely on the books. I want to write one day. I don't know if it's like in the next year or not, but I want to write an autobiography at some point. Um, I feel like I have a story to tell and oh, my experiences and I, you know, I've, I would love people to hear more about it and hopefully it inspires anybody out there to kind of just live their life and, and be who they are and not worry about what other people think. And that's like a big thing is like the reputation thing. I feel like it stops even non-Arabs and non-Muslims from doing things in their life because they're worried about their reputation or how they look to the community or the society or whatever it is but I'm really big about breaking those barriers and you know love me or hate me but that's you know that's who I've become and I through my book I, I would love 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 to like inspire especially like young women to just be who they are I want to ask you one last question when you go back to New York and visit, what's the first thing you eat when you get there? <laughs> uh, halal guys. <laughs> I've heard of them. I don't know yeah. if you've ever been to their cart. They I've have not, amazing food. Oh man. You, let me just tell you the one of the, so when I go back to New York now, I don't think I could ever live there again. Um, I feel like now that I'm older, the hustle and bustle of it is, is a little much, but when I go there, I go there for a few weeks because New York has so much to offer. I love people watching. So people watching is prime there. And the food though, for people who are listening, who have never been to New York, go for the food. The amount of food that you can eat there. I've never had Chinese food as good as I've had in New York. And Afghani food, people like don't realize, but uh, kebab from Afghanistan, is some of the best kebab you'll ever eat. So if you're in New York, you love kebab, find an Afghani restaurant because it is fire. But also make sure to visit Halal Guys, the original street cart, because their food, it's amazing. We've had other guests on the show mention them. So they're getting a oh. lot of, I should be a sponsor. They're, they're getting a lot you of- You should, shows. you should get sponsored by them. Yes. I should check them out. And if out. you ever go to New York, you need to check them out. Their food is, is so good. 
I will. My wife and I are planning on going. We're going to, of course, just visit all the libraries, but we're all, we'll go to the whole Oh, that'd too. be amazing too. Yeah. New York has, New York just has so much to offer. I think that's what it is about New York. New York is its own place. And I honestly consider myself lucky for growing up in New York because I feel like I learned so much about so many different people and foods and cultures and religions and just everything. It made me like when, okay, I know we're running out of time and that was your last question, but I have to tell you moving, moving to Dearborn, there's a lot of like racism and segregation. And I was a completely different mindset coming into Michigan because of how I was raised. My own father was a bit racist and uh, very anti anything that wasn't Muslim or Arab, but I didn't care because of my upbringing in New York, because of what I was surrounded with, because of, I didn't care if you were gay. I didn't care if you were straight. I didn't care if you were black. I didn't care if you were Arab. Like it did not matter to me. I didn't care if you're Muslim. I just saw people as humans. Like it did not matter to me. Like, do you live your life as long as you're not affecting me? I did not care. And it's, it's hard to find that kind of thought sometimes in, in Michigan. Yeah. And I was honestly blessed. I want to say that it was because I grew up in New York and because my neighborhood was so diverse and because my school was so diverse, I was able to have a completely different, like mindset about these kind of issues. New Yorkers always talk about the pizza. Did you miss that too? You know what? I found some really good New York style pizza in Detroit. <laughs> ah, that's good. I like that. So I, I didn't miss it too much. I miss the other foods like oh. Iranian food and Afghani food and Indian food, Chinese food. Yeah. I love, Af- uh, um, I love Afghani food. We have a lot of that here. And I'm really oh my God. Afghani food is so good. People don't realize how good they're, do you get the white sauce? No. Get the white sauce if you ever get back. Okay. It's life changing. There's one dish I always got that it's got lamb and um, okra. I really Mm -hmm. love that. Yeah. Zara, I loved getting a chance to talk to you. I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I hope we get a chance to talk. Thank you for having me. Yes. Hopefully, when you do your biography. Yes, absolutely. That was my conversation with Zara Huber. You can find the link to our podcast, Breaking PETA with Z, in the bio. Next week, we'll be speaking with blogger food writer Kara May Harris about her blog and cookbook, Old Lime Plate, about the food of Maryland. Until next week, I'll see you at the library.